0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 281. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Booz Allen, and Direct Mail. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. Welcome back to
1: uh, home in uh, the UK from the shores of America and from California. Uh, We got a big show for you. We got a big show. uh, we're, We're a day late because I was traveling over the weekend to visit my daughter, in Oregon, where she goes to college. She's doing great. It was great to see her. And now uh, we're back in our respective homes and, and have a huge show. Huge,
0: huge. Big show. We have a hashtag snow talk question to kick it all off. And Nick wants to know, Jason, what is your most memorable Apple keynote experience? For me, it was running late for calculus because I had to see if the Apple Watch was real and subsequently going wild when it was revealed. Jason, obviously yours would be slightly different to most people's, but what is your most memorable keynote experience?
1: A little foreshadowing here. We're going to be talking a lot about keynotes in a little Mm -hmm. bit. And so I'm going to leave some of the more personal and interesting apple related details for that and pick some wacky things so um i i got to stand next to al gore um which is at the yerba buena theater and i think i've told this story before there's not a lot to the story just to say that i was standing next to him at a urinal okay good news (laughs) thank you unusual for a vice president of the United States to be mm-hmm. that close, and so, hi, Al. And I got to see one of my favorite bands of all time, you 2 or at least large portions of them, twice at Apple events, but that may come up later, too.
0: Uh, I think my moment I will also bring up later on in the show, too. That's uh, my most memorable Apple keynote experience, because right. it will be a spoiler. Is
1: Al Gore related in any way?
0: I, I would, cannot, cannot comment at this time. That is because later <laughs> in this show today, we are going to be joined... By my friend and yours, Stephen Hackett, as we draft our favorite Apple keynotes of the last decade. So you have that to look forward to later on in the episode. But Jason, I want everybody to settle in now because we have a headlines bonanza for Upstream.
1: Upstream extravaganza. So so much much going on. All right. So
0: settle in, everyone. Okay, we've got some some basic news stuff. And then if you remember, it was that TV Critics Association thing yep. last this uh, past week. So Apple did, as we expect, released a bunch of information about deals that they're doing. Um, and there's also Peacock. So uh, Studio Ghibli <laughs> movies are coming to Netflix, Jason. Yes. Outside of America.
1: Outside of America. So we talked about this. Upgradians already know this, that HBO Max made a deal with Studio Ghibli for... Uh, the Miyazaki movies for all of their stuff. Uh, it's going to be on HBO Max in the United States um, and Canada, I think. Canada's already got a deal. There's also a Japanese streaming deal that's different. If you're not in the US or Canada or Japan, all of those movies are going to be on Netflix. So everywhere else, mm-hmm. they will get, they made a the deal for Netflix. And it's huge because they have largely not been available for streaming or even for a la carte purchase. Mm-hmm. Before, you had to get the discs essentially, to watch these movies. They are classic animated movies. They are Some of them are serious. Some of them are fun and for kids. Uh, we've done a half dozen of them uh, as episodes on The Incomparable. They are, so, they are some of my very favorites. We've done a couple of Mike at the Movies episodes about them. It, I'm very excited for people who haven't seen them or haven't seen them in a long time to be able to. And so if you're in the US, it's HBO Max. I don't know what the service is in Japan where you're going to be able to get them, but uh, everywhere else in the world... Outside of North America and Japan, uh, look to Netflix, and starting very soon, starting in a couple of weeks.
0: February 1st, they're releasing the first set. They're releasing the movies in three waves over a few weeks' time. Um, But the uh the first first wave includes most of the movies that people will want to watch uh Spirit away how's moving castle and my neighbor totoro they're coming uh first so that's going to be really great uh this along with other you know piece of information like the fact that friends are still available in the uk on netflix it's not looking right. good for hbo max international um and so not not, I'm not right now mm-hmm. not yet they're gonna they're gonna start uh with north america and Go from there, I guess. Great news, Jason. Disney Plus is going to launch earlier than expected in some European countries. So instead of March 31st, it's now... March 24th, one oh, week earlier. <laughs> so you get to see The Mandalorian in two months. Congratulations. Can't wait. Can't wait. I also want to see the Imagineer series because I was at Disneyland last week, which was oh, yeah. absolutely incredible. We did uh, 15 hours in the park. We did as much as humanly possible in one day, um, escorted by the Sparks family. And the whole time they were telling us things about the imagineering series um so i'm really uh, excited about watching that as well but i can't wait to get my hands on disney plus in a few weeks time yeah
1: i've got some great news okay um one of my very favorite shows of the last few years which is called counterpart and it it aired on stars which is a, a not particularly well watched network in the u.s and so i would run from place to place and be like Watch Counterpart. Everybody, everybody watch it. It's so great. And uh, nobody watched it because it was on stars and you had to get stars to to watch it. Uh, They did two seasons, 20 total episodes. It does have uh, an ending, I would say. I wish it had continued. There are threads that they could have picked up and continued. But I think when they ordered it, they ordered 20 episodes and the producers knew that they needed to land it after 20 because they might not get more episodes um and it was canceled after the 20 they didn't order more episodes and they shopped it elsewhere and it didn't make it anywhere else so there's just the 20 episodes it is fantastic it stars jk simmons oscar winner jk simmons it is uh it is a genre show um it's actually a few genres it's sort of sci-fi but it's also set in the present day and it is a kind of cold war thriller which is interesting since I just said it was set in the present day, but you have to watch it to see. You don't know anything about the premise of the show. Watch episode one and see if you're hooked because you will be in for some surprises. Um, Anyway, the great news is, It is at least in the U.S., and I don't know about rest of world details because it's very hard to find this. But it looks like Amazon Prime is going to put this on everywhere Mm. it can over time, starting on February first. There's that date again. So if you're in North America, at least, uh, and basically anywhere in the world in February, check out Counterpart and see if it's available on Amazon Prime in your region because it is a fantastic show. I love it so much, and I'm actually I feel like now that it's going to be widely available, this is going to be one of those shows that gets discovered. And that people watch it and they're like, oh, wow, this is really great. And it's like, yeah, it's too bad that they already canceled it and they're never going to make any more. But you will get a very satisfying 20 episode set. So please, uh, starting in February, you get your chance to uh, I'm I'm so happy for all of you. You get your chance to watch Counterpart. It's so great.
0: I hope it, can't, it we can get I can do like the star subscription here and get it. But I've not done yeah. that. I'm I assume that, that I what will happen
1: is all that stuff is going to eventually just kind of drop off and Amazon will light it up in all the countries where it can. That's what I'm hoping will happen yeah. here uh, and then it will just be a catalog title on Amazon. That would be great because people deserve to see it but anyway, in the US February 1st counterpart, it's all coming it's gonna it's great.
0: I wanted to do some follow out to episode 497 of the incomparable uh, where you talk about uh, for all mankind. Yes, we did. Apple TV+, Plus. that's the first
1: incomparable thing about Apple TV+, and it's a good panel, including both me and Stephen Hackett, Mm -hmm. because, you know, space, uh, along with Kathy Campbell, Dan Warren, and Moises Chuyan. So if you'd like to hear us talk for a little more than an hour about the first season of For All Mankind, check out Incomparable 497. It's a great episode. I listened to it today. Oh, nice. I edited that in Oregon. (laughs) I missed that show already, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I,
1: I, 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 while I was editing, I'm like, oh, I wanted to come back, but it just mm-hmm. left. It's not going to be back for months now. All right, you ready for some Apple TV Plus news? uh yes can you tell me if any wrestlers slash marvel uh actors are going to be in season two of C?
0: believe it or not jason i can this time dave bautista who you may know from uh being dave bautista in the wwe or as uh, drax drax in guardians of the galaxy which is probably how most people know him now Mm -hmm. uh he's going to be in season two of C. feels like a good addition honestly because big guy right big guy great actor yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not going to watch it, but like good for Dave, uh, big surprise. Jennifer Aniston won best actress at the SAG awards for, uh, the morning show. Yeah. It came out of nowhere.
1: So it's another, another Apple event win. They had already won for Billy Crudup for his super weird, as we mentioned last time, I think super weird performance, um, good as choice. slimy network executive, but, uh, Jen, Jennifer Aniston made it, she made it. So, this is uh, big for that's them. cool. This is big for for them.
0: This is big for Jennifer Aniston, too, right? It's A little credibility. Very, very happy for her. But, like, this is big for them to win a best, you know, like, one of the top-line awards at a prestigious awards show. They wanted this. They got it. So, that's great. Uh, Apple have signed a multi-year deal with Lee Eisenberg, who is the co-creator of Little America, which has debuted to great reviews. Um, by the way, like lots of outlets are reviewing uh, Little America very highly. I think that yes. debuted within the last yeah, week. Yeah, I've or seen so. a few
1: a few critics say that this is Apple's truly, you know, great show on Apple TV Plus. Um, Lee Eisenberg, I think, known most uh, known notably for The Office. He was the um, he was an executive producer on the U.S. version mm-hmm. of The Office, and then he he has also produced several other. Uh, tv series including smilf which is an excellent show and then little america so they've got a they've got him in a multi-year deal now
0: for to make some apple shows yep um after quote from apple reviewing the information available they have decided that they will be putting the banker in theaters and on apple tv plus um so this was the show that so the movie i should say that have been uh, it was cool. pulled it was an Oscar yeah.
1: it was an Oscar contender they hoped that it would get nominated for Oscars but they pulled its release in December for Oscar availability because uh, somebody said um, a woman said that a uh, a guy who's actually a character in the movie and was listed among the producers who's the son of the main character of the movie had sexually assaulted her and so there was a uh, uh, they pulled it to sort of like investigate what was going on and Apple's statement says that he is no longer a producer of the movie and will not profit from the film's release. So, I mean, this is one of those things we went over it on this show that it's not the case where it's like, oh, the main character of this movie turns out to be a horrible person. What are they going to do with the movie? It was like an ancillary character who's only really seen as a kid in the movie, but because he's a relative, he was listed as a producer and Apple has basically kind of like uncoupled the business of this movie from that guy in the wake of these allegations. So, you know, we will get to see it in March in theaters and then... It's that, it's that quick, it's the Netflix window, Mike. It's March mm-hmm. 6th in theaters or wait until March 20th and it's on, also on your TV. But that makes it Oscar eligible for next year.
0: For next year similarly probably spike jonesy has a document documentary uh is it Jonze jones? jones i think we just right? say jones spike jones, jones yeah that's why i did that jones's documentary beastie boys story which is about the beastie boys will be coming to apple tv plus after a run in imax theaters so apple's picked this one up um i don't think that this was something that they instigated but it's a movie that they have picked up for the yeah, service they p- picked up the streaming distribution of it yeah And this movie will debut first at South by Southwest, along with two other Apple TV Plus shows, including Central Park, which is the animated series from the creator of Bob's Burgers, and Mm, Home, very exciting, uh, which is the documentary series that looks inside the world's most innovative homes. This is like Mm. one of those shows that you see on Netflix a lot, right? Which is like Tiny House Nation, like it's like you know, like a fun like let's take a look inside some beautiful homes type thing. Um, at the TV Critics Press Tour, Apple announced that Home was going to be debuting on April 17th, and Central Park will be available this summer. Nice. Uh, also at the Critics Press Tour, Apple announced a bunch of stuff over that time period. Uh, some some of these headlines are as following. Meryl Streep will star in an original animated film that will premiere on Earth Day. Okay. Julia Louis-Dreyfus has signed to a content deal, which is very exciting.
1: This is, so I believe her deal is involves Richard Plepler's production company. And we talked about this before, how the Plep keeps on Plepin. The, mm-hmm. it's the guy who used to run HBO and yep. since HBO is now trying to max itself out and uh, <laughs> Apple TV Plus is sort of trying to be HBO, um, this is a, an interesting moment where they're taking Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who starred in Veep obviously, and Seinfeld back in the day, but uh, most recently Beep on HBO, um, and she's got a content deal with Apple and with Richard Plepler's production company. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a
0: lot of these types of things, like yeah. ex hbo coming uh-huh. over to Apple. Now that yeah. app is like an exciting prospect, right? Like they so. announced nothing tied to this. And of course, like unlike some of the other deals, Julia Louis-Dreyfus has, has nothing on Apple TV+. Plus. So you're right. This is coming from Plypler and like that is super exciting because I love Julie Louis-Dreyfus. I think she's fantastic yep. and I cannot wait to see what more she does of Apple. Uh, April third is going to see the release date of the drama series Home Before Dark. This show is inspired by the true story of reporter Hilde Lysiak, who broke the story of a murder in her town aged eleven. So this is that story. <laughs> she like I remember this. We sp- this is one of those ones we've spoken about these shows before, but so that's yeah. coming. Uh, it's chris evans show uh defending jacob which is a thriller a, is going to a be a miniseries right a mini, yes this is a miniseries that will be premiering on april 24th what you need to know about that is that it was shot in the park behind john syracuse's house everybody needs to know that mm-hmm. uh, mythic quest has been renewed for a second season already um this is one of those things where like they had to get the deadline date in and they've done it uh there's yep. going to be a new UK-based comedy series called Trying, premiering on May 1st, starring Rafe Spall, Esther Smith, and Imelda Staunton. A big fan of Rafe Spall.
1: This is a good example of how we we talked about a, like a couple of years ago how a- Apple hired a couple of key... UK television executives, including somebody from the BBC, um, but Apple very early on started doing UK-based development. They also have other country-based development. There's European development. they got a bunch of people all over the world. We are going to start seeing like we do with Netflix now. We're going to see shows that were made outside of the US that will roll out worldwide, but will be you know made from producers in various countries because Apple TV ultimately, Apple TV Plus is, is supposed to be an international service with companies content from all over the world so this is i feel like technically the first example of that where uh, we're all going to see
0: trying on may 1st but it's a uk developed series Uh, what else do we have oh amazing stories it's coming on march the 6th they're going to be five episodes of amazing stories from steven spielberg on march sixth.
1: Yeah. And I wonder about that, that whether it's, um, because five episodes is a funny number and, uh, you and I've talked a lot about what Apple's rollout strategy is. Obviously with their dramas, they've been dropping sort of, they dropped three and then they did a weekly release cycle. There's this real question about like with some of the comedies, are they going to drop them? all at once or are they going to try some other approach because i i've you know the argument is often that like comedies are lighter and are less plot focused and so you could just drop them all and do a binge mm-hmm. or view them at your leisure whereas you kind of want the ongoing discussion of the drama this one comes up so this is an anthology series amazing stories but five episodes as a number makes me think that maybe their strategy with this is to order a large number of these and then drop them in small batches. So we'll call it like season one, but it, it, it may actually just be kind of batch number one and there'll be another five episodes in four months or six months or something like that. And that's, uh, you know, I, I think it's something to watch is just Apple figuring out what the
0: best way to roll out a TV series is. And we have some news about Peacock from NBC. Peacock! So they have announced news! some of their content plans. So they have some original content that's coming, but one of their big selling points is going to be that their late night programming from Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers, their talk shows, they usually they are at eleven thirty five and twelve thirty five respectively. NBC will now broadcast these at eight p.m. Eastern time on Peacock, so you'll be able to watch them early. Yeah, so this is an interesting thing. So they
1: record earlier than that. They recorded like 5.30, I think, at Eastern time to give them enough time to prep them for air. But they're obviously shifting that time now, um, not the recording time, but the, the, um, the release time. It shows you how the balance of power has shifted. There was a lot of conversation when this was announced about how like, oh, the affiliates aren't going to be happy. Those are the individual TV broadcast stations in America that broadcast this. But what you need to know about the affiliate relationship with networks these days is the networks own and operate the channels in most of the major markets. If it's a big enough market, they just bought the channel and they run it. And uh, the balance of power has completely shifted now where it's like, um, well, we could either have this be an original exclusive to our broadcast channels, or we could use it to sell our streaming service. And the answer is, well, duh, we're going to use it to sell our streaming service. So I think it's interesting if you're a fan of Jimmy Fallon or Seth Meyers, you know, they can be a primetime show for you. You can watch them every night at eight if you want, or if you're on the West Coast at five, uh, watch it while you're making dinner. Uh, will a lot of people do that? I don't know about a lot, but it's a fun little bonus thing. And I think it's an interesting, sometimes it's little stuff like this that not only shows you the, the balance of power, like I said, but you know might actually change the way people uh, watch these shows. The idea that um, it's a late night show, but if you always just record it and watch it the next day, well, guess what? Now you can just watch it that day. There's no reason for them to record it and then hold on to it until 1235 a.m. If you want to see Seth Meyers, you can watch Seth Meyers today at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., whatever, on Peacock. That's uh, it, It'll be interesting to see how it goes. But I, I like that they're trying stuff like this because it's a very different approach uh, from a, you know, theoretically a broadcast television network to do it this way.
0: It's an advantage that they have, so they've just taken advantage of it. Yeah. But they announced original shows. Obviously, the one that I am most excited about, The Adventure Zone, is going to be getting an animated series on Peacock. This yeah. This is incredible. I'm so excited about this.
1: I have questions. It'll be interesting to see what the details are, because it's an animated series. It's apparently going to be the balance arc yep. of Adventure Zone. They're going to animate it. The way that the show is described, because so much of the show is the DM, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just the players, Person, it's the DM. Yeah. And, and there's one way you could do this show where it is you take the story of the balance arc and you tell it in animation and you have the, the players playing their characters and uh, and it's like the DM disappears, right? And that's not what you want. So I, I wonder what it's going to be like and if it's going to be kind of meta where it sort of starts out with them playing D&D and then it goes into the world or it cuts back and forth. There's a lot of different ways you could do it and I'm, I'm really curious to see how they do the storytelling because, you know, the way this is supposed to work is the DM tells the story, he's doing the voices of all the other characters and then there are the two players and you've got two, two things happening simultaneously, right? You've got the family sitting around the table playing a game and you've got the story underneath it and from the descriptions, they're not going to lose the family playing games part of it so I'm really Really looking forward to seeing how they execute it but it's very cool or
0: even just like what is it going to be Like, are they going to use the original audio uh, yeah or are they going to re-record it i are don't know like the ricky
1: Rick, ricky gervais uh show was on hbo was literally they just took they edited it but they
0: took the audio from the podcast that's and what and i made do because i think it could be difficult otherwise but are they going to commit to like 135 hours I don't know. It is, right? So, like, there isn't a lot of information. And, like, the McElroy's have said, like, they can't give information yet. Right. Um, but I am just happy to see this because, obviously, like, of course, I'm happy to see it. Especially yeah. The Balance because it's just, like, my favorite story ever. A but fun. there's more. Uh, Clean Slate, a comedy star- series starring George Wallace and Laverne Cox, will be joining uh-huh. Peacock. Uh, Expecting, which is another comedy from Mindy Kaling and Howard Klein. Uh, Division One, which is a comedy from Ailey Polar, which I love. This it focuses on a women's soccer team. It's like a real coming of age type thing. Yeah. Uh, Hatching Twitter, a documentary series from Nick Dil- Nick Bilton, based on Nick Bilton's book Hatching Twitter. Um, I think this is the beginning of more. Like Hatching Twitter will be the first one, and they're going to do other uh, investigative documentary series, as the way it's described. And Magruba, uh, Will Forte <laughs> will revisit his role as. Magruba, which was the yes. parody of MacGyver, which then became like a thing of its own. And, yeah, it was a yeah. Saturday
1: Night Live sketch that became a movie, and they're apparently going to do it as a as a show on Peacock, which is funny. I wonder about talking about Seth Meyers and Jimmy Fallon. Um, they they already made the the move, which uh, for people who don't know, who don't live on the West Coast, um, Saturday Night Live used to air live at eleven thirty Eastern, and then on the West Coast they would just air it on tape three hours later. And at some point in the last few years, they realized that there was nothing on TV on Saturday night on the West Coast. And they started showing Saturday Night Live at 8.30 live in primetime on the West Coast, which is amazing. It's great. As a kid, I always wished they would do that. Um, so they do that now. So they can't do what they, what they did with Uh, Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers in terms of making it available. But I do wonder if they'll make it available um, everywhere live and uh, if they'll do other Saturday Night Live tie-ins. They do a dress rehearsal earlier in the evening um, that is traditionally only available, I think, inside NBC. But I I, I had that thought when I was reading about MacGruber and as well as the Jimmy Fallon stuff, thinking, well, here's a combo. Like maybe they could uh, like stream the dress rehearsal on Peacock. And that would be interesting, right? It would be like, oh, you get special access to the rehearsal of Saturday Night Live or something like that. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they experiment with it. Um, Speaking of experimental uh, Peacock things, by the way, um, so many pricing tiers, Mike. So many different ways that people can pay for or not pay for uh, Peacock based on what we talked about before, which is NBC is owned by Comcast. So they want to make this available with ads in various ways and they want to make it available to Comcast cable subscribers in various ways so they have 3 different pricing tiers for Peacock
0: is free with limited content, so I guess that means the originals, like you're not going to get Jimmy Fallon early for free is my expectation.
1: Yeah, they'll have like a free tier with, with like NBC sitcoms from the broadcast yep. network and stuff. That's essentially what you might got have gotten on Hulu that will eventually just all migrate to the free version of Peacock.
0: And this will undoubtedly have ads right? Yeah, for sure. There is also $5 a month with ads and access to everything, but this is free to Comcast subscribers. So if you're a Comcast yeah. subscriber, you can get Peacock for free, but it has ads. Right. But it has all the premium content. Exactly. It has everything. Um, or anybody can pay $10 a month and get everything with no ads. Um, but there is no uh, news on international plans yet. This will be launching on July 15th in the U.S. Yeah, and, and probably
1: just on the U.S. for a while. I do wonder I do wonder as a, as a Comcast subscriber if I can pay $5 a month to not see ads or if I'm going to have to pay full $10 a month to not see ads because I don't want to see the Couldn't ads. Couldn't find that answer, Jason. No, I don't uh, think they, they have that answer yet. But, but if um,
0: you're on the $5 or $10 uh, plans as well as the early access to late night shows, you also get sports so like the Premier League. Premier
1: League, yeah, that's right. They yeah. they have this gold product right now, which is sort of like the, the Premier League matches that aren't on their cable channels are available on streaming as part of that. And they're going to roll that into Peacock. So um, that's pretty cool. And I think like CBS All Access, they're going to do the thing where, you know, um, the NFL game that's on on your local NBC channel, you'll just be able to stream. If you're on the on one of those tiers, they'll let you stream that one game live.
0: So that is our mammoth upstream Mega headline upstream. Segment for this. So week. much going on. Yeah, this this is a particularly busy time. So I saw a couple people talking about this on Twitter over the last few days. Seems to be so much news right now about this. This is going to be what January's will be like always now, because this is the time of the year when a lot of this stuff is happening. Awards and then we have the first set of when companies will be showing off some of their stuff for the year. January, the TV critics dinner thing. Uh, So this is where we are now, right? Like, this is what Apple's in this game. Uh, Other companies are moving into a more technology-focused game, right? We're talking about NBC with Peacock. We have Disney with Disney+. Plus. This is the time of year when original content will be announced. So you can mark this one on your calendar. January won't be boring anymore, Jason. There's always going to be something happening. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, before we get into our draft, let's thank our first sponsor of this episode, and that is our friends over at Pingdom. While you've been listening to this show, how would you know if your website had gone down? Well, Pingdom from our friends over at SolarWinds can help you out because... You want to know if customers couldn't click that Buy Now button or access your content, right? You don't want to stumble across this problem by luck or somebody contacting you. You need a system to look after this stuff. You want something to tell you when everything is running smoothly on your site, and more importantly when it isn't. This is why you need Pingdom, because Pingdom detects around 13 million outages across the web every month. That is more than 400,000 every day. They help keep your sites and the sites that you love online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company company, you want alerts about any critical website issues. They will let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of an outage to make sure that the person who can fix the problem knows first. Well, don't know second. Pingdom knows first, and they tell you. Plus, they're going to track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. They have a no-fuss approach to get started. You give them the URL that you want to monitor, they'll take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash relayfm right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. A thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and relay fm so jason it is a new decade right and so like, we've seen lots of roundups and such and there was an idea that you put forward to the upgrading council which was ratified uh-huh. and agreed upon that we should get in on that game of doing a top something of of the, 20 yeah the 2010s let's yep. say yeah,
1: I felt like you, you, we, have to, we have to do something, right? We have to mm-hmm. do something to mark the passing of the decade. And there were a lot of best of the decade lists and all of that. And I, you know, I, I had an idea. We don't want to let this pass, and it's January 2020 now, so we need to do it now if we're going to do it. And it's
0: well known, Jason, on Upgrade, yes. we do not make lists. We draft things.
1: We do make lists. We make them via draft. See, Good that's point. the great thing about a draft is when you're done with a draft, you have a, list, you have a list, which is great. So what are we doing? We are going to draft... Apple special events slash keynotes from the decade of the 2010s. And to do it, we're going to need some help. And that's why we have brought in special guest star, Stephen Hackett.
2: Hello. Wait, I was I was
0: told I was here to talk about the Macintosh portable. We're not doing that again. This is, this is a real thing that you're here for. Yeah. Jason wanted to do the draft and then brought in help, which makes me think that Jason doesn't trust my historical knowledge here. I just thought it's more that I
1: like Stephen's historical knowledge than, than, than cool. that I just like yours. <laughs> also, Mike, I didn't want to do like a like an eight round draft with two people. I thought it would right. be fun to kind of like mix it up and, and have a third person picking just yeah, for fun. Don't variety. do an
0: eight round draft with two people. Do a four round draft with three people. That's what yes. we've learned. Yeah. And then we get a top 10 list with two alternates. So that's nice. Everyone loves a good old top 12. So, Stephen, as Uh guest, uh, would you like to pick? So, I guess we should say there's no real rules to this. Um, I think, having spoken about this previously, we have come to the conclusion, uh, not that we have shared any real information with each other, that the three of us are all picking... keynotes for very specific reasons that are specific to the three of us which is yes. going to be interesting to see how that unfolds um but but that's where mm-hmm. we're i
1: didn't want it to be one of those where it's like the best mm-hmm. or the most important mm-hmm. like i i i sort of feel like it's the most significant or interesting in some way
0: but you may have a different definition and i have that's a fine. completely different reason set for my picks so
1: oh boy all right well so we will uh we'll figure it out but it's still a draft so if somebody else takes those
0: picks before you then Mm
1: -hmm. uh you don't get to pick them
0: so steven what is your first pick in this draft that we have concocted
1: i will say i've watched a lot of youtube over
2: the last couple of weeks like refreshing Uh on this stuff Mm -hmm. and I'm going to start at the beginning of the decade with the iPad introduction. Um, oh, in, darn it. In January 2010. <laughs> yep, that was my number one. That was
0: very clearly the top pick for everyone, I think, for yeah. Very, very, yeah. for reasons. The anniversary
2: is next week. Uh, I'm planning some stuff for that. But the reason I like this keynote so much is that, yes, it's a new whole new category, and that's really fun. But it is so different in the way that jobs delivered it you know he had that that really fancy black chair chair and the the little side table and he really used the ipad during his demos the way that people use an ipad right it's sitting down you're sort, sort of an intimate device and i think all of that was just so brilliant it all holds up pretty well and i just i love the showmanship in that because it's sort of understated and we all know right like if this had been decades of all time the iphone keynote would have won right because that's i think the best steve jobs keynote apple's ever ever did yep, sure but the but the ipad one is so different from that and i don't know i just i really like the way that it was done and it, it always jumps out at me as something special
1: yeah, I think this is the consensus number one, it sounds like. And uh, and since you got to go first, you got to pick it. But yeah, I think that for all the reasons you said, looking back on that now, and I'm sure we'll get more of that in the next week as we barrel toward that 10th anniversary, um, some of the assumptions that we all made back then are, are are kind of funny now, like, oh, Steve Jobs has just saved all- books and uh, newspapers and things like that. Mm-hmm. But But at the same time, like, taking the iPad and sitting in a chair and kind of flipping around on the iPad. Like, yeah, that's the iPad experience. That's I live that every day. So they got that part right.
0: Yeah, it was done so well. Like I remember like Steve looking, you know, down over his glasses, that kind of thing, looking at the iPad. But I think the thing that was so good about that event and the reasons that you've mentioned for doing this was I think without an extended demo like that, the iPad would not have gotten across. It just wouldn't have gotten across to people because it did look just like a big iPhone, right? Yeah. Like, and so th- I think they they really had to spend some time in that event demonstrating how it would be used. And Steve standing at a table and doing the demo, like they've done for every other one of their products, and for every iPad since. Right, like later on, the iPad, they're not, they're not sitting down in a little leather chair, right? Like it just found its way onto the demo table, and they would do their thing because people understand how it's used by then. But they really, it was like a masterstroke of whoever came up with the idea of demonstrating it that way. Plus, the iPad was just a fascinating product. Like the iPad introduction was is also particularly, maybe I am tipping my my hat here, meaningful to me. Because it was this which made me decide I wanted to start podcasting because I had so mm-hmm. many views that I wanted to get out that I needed an avenue for them. And so that I'm I've been podcasting for ten years in April and that was when the iPad came out. So my first episode of any show that I ever did, which doesn't live online anymore because i don't want it to uh included like my thoughts on the uh first ever ipad because it came out in the uk right we actually came out around that time and then we got it in the uk a little bit later so that was a right. particularly meaningful event for me my first pick carrying on that line is wwdc 2013 um this is notable for two main things iOS seven, which is pretty big. I mean, when you think about it in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, right? Like the iOS seven was a pretty meaningful uh, operating system. It changed a lot, right? It was kind of infamous. Now, I think is probably the better way of putting it. Uh, WWDC two thousand thirteen also included the Trashcam Mac Pro, everybody's favorite Ooh. Mac. Oh yeah, um, so very. Looking at it from this level, infamous. Up and down WWDC 2013. But the reason I have picked it is it was my first WWDC that I went to. So this keynote was the first keynote I'd ever watched. I wasn't on my own. Like I watched it in a hotel room with a bunch of friends, including Steven. Um, And Jason, it may have been the first time me and you met was at WWDC 2013, seems, Could be. seems likely, I think, mm-hmm. um, at the Mac It was, it was the Macworld party. You invited us, ah. which was wonderful, and that was super exciting. So, that, you know, WWDC 2013 it was one of, you know, the best times that I've ever had in my entire life because I got to do something I'd always wanted to do, and I got to meet a lot of p- friends that I've made online, start building relationships that, again, got me to, to where I am today. So that's a very important uh, keynote for me in that respect yeah
1: it makes sense that was uh the i remember very clearly sitting there when they played that first video Mm -hmm. showing the new interface in ios 7 and just kind of not believing what i was seeing that was a beautiful (laughs) video though it really was It, it 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 suggested a potential future that was spectacular that uh you know didn't really live up to it but it was a, a super important moment for ios right of, of kind of saying look we built the original ios based on all these interface assumptions and we can we can talk about the pros and cons of the flat interface and they had to walk a lot of stuff back but i do think it's important for the platform to every now and then say hey everything we do is based on assumptions we made like in this case before the product actually shipped <laughs> and we need to refresh it and do something different. And, you know, there, there was a lot of fallout from that, but it was a super important moment in the evolution of iOS. Yeah, that, that was on my
2: list for the reasons that Jason and Mike, you both shared. It's such an important event and it gave us an infamous Mac and it was the first WBC that, that I attended. I've been to Macworld the year before, but it was a, it was fun to be there and, you know, it's wild to me that 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 is seven years ago now, six and a half years ago now, and that that computer just went away. It's just there's so many weird things about this keynote, and it definitely deserves to be in this
1: list.
0: Good and bad, yeah. Good and bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Jason, what's your number one?
1: All right i I had a few that were at the top of my list, including the iPad, but I think I'm gonna go with one that's uh, a, a couple notches down, just because I think it's important as an event and also kind of important personally, and that is the September twenty fourteen event Ooh. at the Flint Center in Cupertino. Oh, I yeah. have that this was on my la- list. that it was the launch of the Apple Watch. Now keep in mind this was Months before the Apple Watch actually shipped to the Mm -hmm. point where there is an event in 2015 that's still available for those who want to pick it, where they (laughs) explained again what the Apple Watch was because it had been a while since, uh, it it had been like six months since they introduced the Apple Watch. But they wanted to have the Apple Watch debut in front of the uh, big audience that was waiting for the new iPhone. So the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus also at this time. So this is the big... Big iPhones, the, the generation that it still exists is still kicking around as the iPhone 8. But like, so this was a, the beginning of a brand new generation of iPhone hardware design. It was the introduction of the Apple Watch, apple pay was part of this equation as well you may also remember it as the event where uh steve and bono touched fingers oh my god was that that one yeah. and you got uh, tim, an tim album and put bono. in your itunes tim. library or sorry sorry tim yeah steve steve also had a bono moment that people don't remember that was that previous decade right that was the california theater ipod photo event but there were two u2 events don't forget two U2 events at Apple. Why not just keep repeating it? This decade, maybe they'll come back again and put another album in our libraries. Anyway, um, but the other reason that I picked this is because this was my last hurrah event. This was the last event that I did. Uh, Executives at IDG decided that they were going to lay everybody off on September 9th and... I pointed out that we would all be at an Apple event then, and it might not be the best time to lay everybody off. And they said, okay, we'll do it on the 10th. So I went to this event knowing it would be the last thing that I did at Macworld and that most of the people I was with at the event would also be losing their jobs Mm. the next day. So it was super intense and bittersweet. And, uh, and Apple gave me an an iPhone, which they didn't always do. Uh, after the event, I had a briefing to do a, to get a review unit, which was kind of on, on and off, uh, that would sometimes happen and sometimes not. And I had to tell my, uh, my very nice PR person who I'd been working with several years. I was like, okay, I got to tell you something about this, which is that I'm not going to be working at as of tomorrow. Uh, yeah. So it was super intense, but also I think from an Apple, um, perspective with the Apple watch and the iPhone six line and, uh, the first kind of big iPhone with the 6 Plus and the introduction of Apple Pay. This is a super important event of the decade. It's
2: also an interesting event because Apple didn't know what the Apple Watch was going to be good for yet. And so you watched Kevin Lynch in this demo, basically mm. building the case the Apple Watch is going to do everything your phone does. And Open your hotel room door. That was
0: my favorite Yeah, I mean, one. it's
2: yeah. wild. And, you know, it's amazing to see how far that product has come. That's what really struck me. And rewatching this keynote, the other thing that struck me, and I remember thinking this at the time, was they blasted through a really important iPhone in like twenty-two minutes. Like right. the iPhone is done super fast, and it, clearly there was a lot more uh, to do. It's also Tim Cook gets to do the the one more thing. His voice breaks when he says it. It's clearly emotional for them, and and you know it. Because of the IDG stuff, you know, we had Upgrade, and episode one of Upgrade was about this iPhone, which is is really special
1: too. That is absolutely true. Like a week and a half later, the episode one of Upgrade happened. It's uh, yeah, yeah. That I refer to this as the "What doesn't it do" keynote yeah. because it was literally yeah. like uh, the it slices, it dices, it opens <laughs> cans, it does whatever you want. It's the Apple Watch, mm-hmm. and then they had to figure out like what it actually was for uh, over time.
0: Yeah, I, it is wild looking back at this one because that iPhone, it, you know, it wasn't just the first big iPhone. It was also the iPhone that made the sales charts go bananas, right? Like, Right. It, it was that iPhone that broke and smashed and obliterated all records, which then Apple is still paying for all these years later, right? Like mm. that incredible rise that occurred. Um, but I had it on my list because, uh, you know, it was a obviously not... A, great reason for in in some respects, but it also did uh, lead to the beginning of Upgrade, which is very important to me. Yeah, um, And it seems like everybody that was laid off from IDG has fallen on their feet quite nicely, I think, right? It seems like? Yeah, I think so. Hope so. Alright, so we're moving in to round two. Stephen, what is your second draft pick? This was going to be lower in
2: my list, but Mike, I think your game here is uh, events that's, that are important to you personally. So... I'm going to. Are so you going to steal uh, to one? Make Why
0: it... are you going to do that? Like this doesn't make this is. I'm going to care. take a bet that <laughs> like, this doesn't make sense. When it's <laughs> Wait not a second, like are it... you pi- are you
1: picking it because it's also important to you, or are you just being mean and picking things that are important well, to Mike? It it is third on my list, so I'm just bumping it up one. Oh, I see what's happening here. Yeah,
0: but you could still leave it third on your list,
1: though, right? You don't have to. Yeah, but, the, is, this, but the... is this how
0: you draft?
1: But this is how drafts work, Mike, okay, is, is is you want to get the picks you want to get, so we'll you have see. to jump in front of other people. All right. So
2: I, I am betting that the September 2015 event is on Mike's list. It is on my it list. It is the introduction of the iPad Pro. It's also the introduction of the iPhone 6S, the Apple TV with Siri remote. We get the line of the future of TV as apps. A
1: very busy keynote. But this was on my list, too. Just to be fair, I also had this uh, on my list. So you mm-hmm. you well, well done stealing our picks, Stephen but that
2: iPad Pro I mean in rewatching that I so I have very complicated feelings about the iPad Pro and I feel like in a way Apple has made a promise it has yet to deliver on in some ways but rewatching that keynote it's really clear that it is a a big departure for the iPad even though it kind of looked the same it was just bigger but the pencil and the keyboard those are things Apple had never done before Uh, There's also the bonus points for me that Apple used space theme stuff, so like a picture of Jupiter, Mm. and there's movies of the like clips of the Martian, kind of very space oriented demo content, and yeah, a a big big event. And even though you know the Apple TV, the future of TV is apps, some of that stuff didn't pan out. I think that helps make it a classic, though, is that this is the future of TV as apps event. (laughs) It, It also, in a way, feels like one of the first. Modern Apple Keynotes, like you could maybe make that argument about the September 2014 event, but this event is jam-packed. It was in a venue they hadn't really used much, if ever, before. Because this was at at Billy Graham Center, I think. Bill Graham, yeah. Bill Graham. Billy's his son. It's a smaller venue next door. Billy Graham has a shack Mm -hmm. back, Uh and it is it is just so jam-packed. It's it's a really fast-moving keynote in places, and. That's kind of how they all are now. This one sort of felt like a shift
0: in the modern direction. Yep. So I wanted this one because this is third on my list, by the way. So I, I'm, I can't wait to pick my second one now because it was what I thought you were going to take. But the uh, iPad Pro is obviously very important to me, right? It was, like a, it was a great event for that because that was the device that really changed a lot of the way that I compute now. Uh, but also Same. it was uh, where hashtag Mike was right was born. That's where the phrase oh. comes from, because I was standing alone in uh, my belief that Apple would introduce the iPad Pro at this event. Uh, people were saying it would; have, the event would have been too much, but I was convinced that Apple would introduce it alongside the iPhone because people would be looking at it. Because that iPad Pro didn't come out like for until like October or November, right? Wait, like it was I still thought, a bit of time.
2: I thought Mike was right; it was about the the
0: plus size phone nope. being the one to buy. Nope, it started here. And then mm, we retroactively okay. applied it. I think. Oh, no, did we? Mm, it, it's maybe. all a blur. Who knows? But it was definitely used in a plum there because it was where I was right about something, which was nice for me for once. But my uh, my second pick is WWDC 2018 mm-hmm. because that's where Connected was featured on stage during the uh-huh. Apple Watch portion of the keynote. Um, which shows me that really Stephen didn't care about emotions. He just wanted to take a pick that he thought was my second. But that was obviously very important to me. Uh, because as well as I mean I was thirteen. Uh, no, I was twelve. Mojave, my favorite of all the. Th- <laughs> Not really. Uh, I, I do. I did have a long love affair of Mojave. I would still be on it if I could. But I had to to upgrade. Um, yeah, this watch OS five came as well. None of that stuff is really that important to me now. But I still have a. A fracture on my wall of Tim Cook standing in front of an Apple Watch with a connected logo (laughs) on it, uh, which was quite a moment.
2: It really was. I wasn't in California for the event. We had a death in the family. So I was home and I flew out on Wednesday for the live connected. And so I was in my office and I kind of broken away from family stuff long enough to watch the keynote. And it's one of those things where Twitter and like people in the room are ahead of the live stream and... All of a sudden, like my mentions were just—I mean, like Tweetbot was freaking out on, on my iMac, and and then it, it comes up, and and I have that same fracture, and yeah, it was incredible. I, I don't know if we've told the story before, but we were actually considering changing the connected artwork <laughs> or, or updating it, and yeah. we will never do it now. Can't do it, it now. We'll, never be
0: touched. We actually started conversations about it a few weeks before like because it was one of the original ones and the, the Relay FM style has kind of moved on quite a lot like it's become we, our artwork is more complicated now like it's more more happening. And the connector one is quite flat right like it's it's iOS 70 I guess. Uh and but now we now we can and we'll never ever change it because otherwise the money I spent on that Getty image would have been in vain,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, and we didn't know
0: that it was going to be in the keynote itself. Um, so it was, it was really exciting. Yeah, that was an absolute surprise, like and one of the great ones. Just a very good moment.
1: So you had gotten some approval for Apple to use it in something, but didn't know that right. it would actually be on a slide on the keynote. Right. We've done that a lot over the years.
0: You have to get approval for lots of things, right? And they'll never tell you what it's for. But like it could just be as simple as like we want to use your artwork on the store or something, and then also like the, the our artwork then showed up in support pages for WatchOS five. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the way it goes. All right, Jason,
1: what's yours? All right, I'm gonna go uh, with one that is uh, it's it's a content pick. Uh, it's a really good event. It's unique in a bunch of ways. Um, I also saw a whole bunch of people who I don't usually see at these events uh, because it was in Brooklyn. It's the October 30, 2018 Brooklyn event. Um, So not only was it in Brooklyn, so that was unusual. And I got to like uh, show Federico around a little bit because Federico was there, uh, which he, he isn't often at these events, especially not at an event like this where he was sort of invited to come, but it doesn't have his whole, like, everybody he knows around him. Um, but, uh, like, uh, Casey and Marco were there. There was like, a surprising number of people who I don't normally expect to see at Apple special events outside of WWDC who were there. That was great. But the event itself, um, not only the unusual location, which was it was a really great venue and it was kind of fun to be in Brooklyn, um, Retina MacBook Air, which is, I think, a super important product because the MacBook Air is arguably, the modern MacBook Air is arguably the most important Mac of the decade, most uh, successful and beloved Mac of the decade. And Apple tried to kill it and replace it with a couple different laptops and it didn't work. And the the users basically rejected it and they had to go back and make a Retina MacBook Air, which is what this product is. the A new Mac Mini, where everybody's like, oh, the Mac Mini's dead, it's never going to get updated, but there it was. It, there, there was a new Mac Mini as well. And then on top of all of that, That modern generation of iPad Pro with the great industrial design and they're declaring that it was faster than 90% of the laptops sold in the previous year uh, with the new Apple Pencil and all of that. Like, great advance for the iPad Pro, which I love as a platform. So, great products, interesting people, interesting venue. Like, there's nothing that I can say badly about this, even though it made me travel across the country in order to get to it, which I don't have to do for events in Cupertino, um, still just a, a great event. And the uh, you know, late October Apple event in a in a weird location, it's pretty good, pretty good, pretty good.
0: Yeah, I wanted to pick this one because there were so many awesome products at this event. Like it was a good event. It was like a kind of an apology event in a, a little bit, right? It was just mm-hmm. like, all right, so here's the two Macs that you wanted and here's an incredible iPad Pro to go along with it. Uh, that was that was a good one, and in the same vein, like I was watching from afar, it was nice to see so many people uh, that I believe deserve to be at these events, at those events. Like Federico was there, Casey was there, Marco was there. It was it was a nice thing to see. All right, so that brings us to the end of round two. We have two more rounds to go. In this wonderful draft. But before we carry on, let me thank our sponsor, one of our sponsors for this episode, that is Direct Mail. If you're looking to grow your customer base, connect with fans, or build a following this year, a super cost-effective way to reach people is email. For over 15 years, Direct Mail for Mac has been the go-to email marketing app for businesses, non-profits, schools, and other organizations who want to expand their reach and connect with customers. Direct Mail is designed for the Mac. So... You can get your work done in half the time using all the Mac technologies that you have grown to love. There's drag and drop, keyboard shortcuts, integration with other apps and more. And it's like a native Mac app, right, which is such a wonderful thing to have. Direct Mail has eye-catching templates that are infinitely customizable and look great on all devices. Direct Mail have a helpful customer service uh, support team. They're staffed by real humans. No chatbots, no artificial intelligence, just friendly folks ready to help at no extra charge to you. You can send your first campaign today with a free download of a direct mail. Listeners to this show will also save 10% of all of their full-featured pricing plans. Head over to directmailmac.com/upgrade to experience the top-rated email marketing app for the Mac and see how they can help your business grow. That's directmailmac.com/upgrade. Our thanks to Direct Mail for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Stephen, what is your next pick?
2: This is, uh, you know, getting into the later rounds, it gets a little bit trickier, but I am going to go with uh, October 2010's Back to the Mac event. Oh,
0: wow.
2: It was on my list. Didn't even make it on <laughs> It's the introduction of the good MacBook Air. <laughs> you know, they got rid of the weird one with the port, flipped oh. down the 11 and 13 inch. Oh. Uh, it also was the first demo of Mac OS 10 Lion, so we see... Craig Federighi, shaky hand on the mouse, he's much better now on stage than he used to be. So this event is, is cool because that MacBook Air is really important. It was really the laptop that defined the decade as far as notebooks, not just mm-hmm. Macs, but PCs as well. Ultrabooks yeah. came from this laptop. But there's an interesting layer to it as well from like Apple's strategy perspective where all of this this whole event is about bringing stuff from ios and the ipad back to the mac. So we talk about that in software and hardware and look lion is like not a great release of mac os it did a lot of weird stuff that's where they changed i think like the save as dialogue and it had linen everywhere and like broke full you know full screen apps broke multiple monitors lots of weird things
0: yeah it brought the ios design right to the mac mm-hmm. like for some apps Right.
2: And what is interesting is that now that we have iOS apps on the Mac, Apple has sort of moved away from this philosophy of iOS and macOS should look alike and act alike to we're going to use underlying technology to sort of unify the, at the app level and let the OSs kind of be true to themselves. And so it's, it's a real shift from this strategy that we see 10 years ago to where we are now. And that really hit me for the first time in re-watching this was, yeah, I've always thought about this as, oh, that's when the good Mac Air came out. But it's there's also this glimpse into where Apple was going. And the next several releases of Mac OS after this reflect this. And then at some point, maybe around, you know, Yosemite or so, they shifted to kind of where we are now.
1: Yep. I mean, I I had this high on my list too. Um, it was uh uh coin flip about this or a different event for my pick in this round so well Mm -hmm. done Um, uh, I mentioned it it, talking about the MacBook Air in the last pick that that this is the one that started that ball rolling and then late in the decade they're like all right no 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 you want the MacBook Air back okay here it is you can have it yeah Uh, because this is a super important computer and this I remember you know this event and how excited everybody was about that new MacBook Air because that first MacBook Air was was weird and this uh, MacBook Air was like I think we even got that feeling at the time, like, oh, they got it, they figured it out. This is this is mm-hmm. the the future concept Mac laptop had become like the great current Mac laptop. Yep.
0: It's the laptop everyone says is their favorite of all time, right? Well, not everyone, but a mm-hmm. lot of people for good yep. reason.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's great. There's there's a funny line in this of uh, Jobs is like, you know, what happens if an iPad and a Mac hooked up? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a really funny way of talking about it, but. It Yeah, it defined so much. I mean, this was the MacBook that brought SSD technology to the masses, right? And, and yeah. the wedge, I mean, all of it's so iconic, like you can't, I, I think it's really hard to overstate the importance of this laptop and this little like press event, I think it was on their campus. It's just kind of where it all started.
1: And Lion as an operating system release really is the story of the decade to come for the Mac, which is how does the Mac fit in at a company that is so dominated by the iPhone and only going to become more dominated over time. The whole, back to the Mac, the idea there is like, we've been talking about the iPhone a lot. So now we're going to talk about the Mac a little bit, but it also brought in Mac, you know, iOS features sort of to the Mac and that became a whole balancing act over the decade. So that's why this is a good pick. So. Good job, Steven.
0: Thank you. Alright, I am gonna go back to 2010. Uh and I'm gonna pick WWDC two thousand and ten. Ooh. Now it's worth noting, this is a kind of a fun thing. Uh WWDC back in two thousand and ten, that's not where they announced iOS updates. So <sighs> iPhone OS four was actually announced in April at a special event, uh where yeah, yeah. it was where they... they did the roadmap thing. Uh huh. Um, At WWDC 2010, iPhone OS was renamed iOS because at that point it was iPad as well, right? That was because the iPad was... It just shipped. It just shipped. So they were pushing the iPad apps as well. But also at WWDC 2010, they unveiled the iPhone 4 because, again... There was the schedule that we have now wasn't in place then. Right. Like where you could predict exactly what Apple was going to do on a calendar. Right. Like iPhones come in September. iOS comes in June. Like we knew that was we know that's the case now, but it wasn't really the case then things was kind of a little bit more in flux, I guess. Um, also, FaceTime was unveiled. But the reason that I wanted to pick this event was two reasons. One, this was the last iPhone that Jobs ever got to show off, right? Yep. Um, which which was, you know, obviously a very important thing. But also, this was the iPhone that was left in a bar. Yes. This was the, this was the first heavily leaked iPhone, which started, I guess, the industry that now exists around trying to leak <laughs> iPhones. Uh, this mm. was the one left in a bar picked up by Gizmodo. There was the secret California technology police. All that wonderful stuff in one of what is one of my favorite just tech stories of the last decade. Steve Jobs uh, sort of threatening phone calls to Brian mm-hmm. Lamb at Gizmodo. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So good. Like, such a good story. Uh, it was the iPhone that we all thought was really ugly when we saw the photos, but then when we saw it it has gone down as being one of the best looking phones ever. It brought Retina. This is the first Retina to device um just like awesome so awesome great story great wwdc super strange when you think back to it now like this wasn't where they showed off ios they released a phone instead it's like such a weird thing to think about for wwdc but that was what that's they those were the times kids yep for sure
1: this is a great event and you're right about the the whole uh uh the cycle being so weird Mm -hmm. 2011 apple started releasing iphones in the fall so the next Mm -hmm. year but uh, in 2010, yeah, there was this whole whole weird other schedule and the iPad came in. And I, I didn't have this on my list only because I had so many 2010 events on my list. And I thought that's pretty rough to have just pick from the one year out of a whole <laughs> decade. But a lot of stuff. Ha- 2010 was a big year for Apple. Big, yep. big year. Huge year. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pick Antenna Gate from 2010. Ah, you got it. Yeah. When you said
0: you had a lot of 2010 events, I was like, oh man, he's going to get my next one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I had to pick it now because I was afraid it was going to... In fact, I had this lying in wait. I I wanted it earlier and I was like, no, they're not going to pick it yet. I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to wait until round three. So for those who don't remember, uh, after that wonderful iPhone 4 came out, there was a whole rash of stories about how if you put your fingers in the right places, it lost all of its reception or most of its reception, its cellular reception. You could drop a call or, or a data session just by putting your fingers in a couple of places on the on the edge, that metal edge of the case where they had put the antenna. And there was a whole thing. This is the, This is the quintessential Apple product flaw story, which honestly we see every year now. But they're all just trying to be AntennaGate, and none of them are as good as AntennaGate. Um, it was so bad, in fact, that so, so uh, June 7th, 2010 is when they announced the iPhone 4 and, and presumably shipped it a few days later. July 16th, a month later, they had to call a special event. Steve Jobs had, after the intensity of doing an iPhone launch and a WWDC, he took his family to Hawaii. They're on vacation. The story keeps building and building and building. And they, they eventually Steve Jobs has to come back from his vacation. They did a hastily called, like I believe it was literally come to Cupertino Town Hall tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk to you about this. Um, it was not a full room because it was on such short notice. It's not a product launch. It was kind of a presentation followed by a Q&A session. There are... Um, it, it, it was Steve Jobs at his best slash worst because... He doesn't want to be there. He's really mad that people have brought this up, but also he knows he needs to spin this a little bit because it is kind of an issue. So he does things like give everybody free bumpers for their it's iPhones, like, oh, and it's you very want a
0: case. Fine, have a case. Fine, see if I here's care. a case.
1: <laughs> and so that it is a remarkable event uh, in that it is Apple kind of off its game, trying to do damage control, and it's Tim. Uh, Phil Schiller and Steve Jobs, I think, sitting on awkwardly on kind of uh, stools on the stage. I've got some photos of this event that are amazing where it's like, we do not want to be here. And then after the event, they took a small group of us and did the like, no, 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 we really do test our iPhones before we release them. Where they're like, look at this radio lab and look at this anechoic chamber and all of this other kind of like stuff where they literally nobody gets to go there because it's where they're researching future iPhones. We went past tables that were covered with drop cloths because it was obviously next year's iPhones being worked on there. Uh, but they brought us in because they were desperately trying to change the narrative about how, like, oh, Apple didn't even test this thing. And they're like, no, 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 we totally did. Anyway, it was an, an incredibly unusual event. It's got some great Steve Jobs moments. It was painful. It was awkward. It was weird. It's an event like no other. Um, and so, yes, I pick Antenna Gate.
0: So it's like it's fun for me to think about. Like, you know, I just mentioned that oh, the iPhone four started the like industry of leaks. This started the industry of reporting that there are problems with iPhones, right? Like every year, everyone's trying to find the new gate, right? Like in in kind of especially like in mainstream media, because if you can find that thing and you can report on it, it gets a bunch of news. You know, sometimes phones don't have headphone jacks. Sometimes phones make hissing sounds, whatever the reason uh, you want to get a report on that because it blows up, right? Like people love that news. And this was the first time that had happened. And Apple had to call a big event about it. They never do that again. And I think for good reason, right? Like, there were different ways to deal with these types of problems, especially when this actually wasn't a thing that really affected anyone, really. Like, yeah, you could maybe make it happen, but it wasn't a problem.
1: Also, you're holding it wrong, mm-hmm. right? This is the you're holding it wrong moment, mm-hmm. too. I, yeah. uh... Yeah, I,
2: I skimmed this one. I didn't watch it in full, but man, Jobs is like, he's
1: like, you want a case? Fine. Ha-. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> you it's just cringe. It. It's cringe TV. It's like super cringy the whole thing. If you watch it, it's just mm, mm, uncomfortable. It, it is, and
2: it's just funny that in hindsight, like I don't know how big of a problem it actually was. Apple argues in this event that it wasn't a big deal, and yep. but then with the four S, they changed the the design, and yep. you know uh so there's that and there was a report a few years later that it had been predicted with an apple and that engineer was no longer with the company who knows but definitely an outlier and one one worth mentioning but that's a lot of 2010 stuff guys i have some thoughts i know why that that
0: entire round was 2010 Mm -hmm. yeah that's fun that's true that makes four out of the nine uh, <laughs> events yeah. that we've picked were from 2010, big year. I
2: have something to say about that at the end, but mm.
0: okay. Uh, so I'm up next. Final pick.
2: Final pick, and I'm going to go with WWDC 2017. Ooh. So I don't even remember what versions of iOS or macOS were here. That's not even in my notes. But 11. what um what jumped out at me in in skimming it is that. Apple spent a lot of time on hardware in this event. You know, this was after, I think it was after the round table about the Mac Pro coming back and the iMac Pro had been teased. But Apple then spends quite a bit of time talking about updates to Macs. This is where we get the teaser for the iMac Pro.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we also see the uh the home pod in this event which is like a a wild add-on at the end um there's a lot of interesting hardware stuff and i think the beginning of the turnaround in terms of apple doesn't care about max anymore
0: this is also where we get the new little ipad pro
2: yeah the uh the 10.5 yeah
0: oh Mm -hmm. this is where they also revised the big one too i think this was the first was was this one of the first if not the first revision of the big one I think
2: it was with True Tone and, yeah. and the other editions. So, Promotion. Yes, yeah, so a, a lot of hardware love here.
1: Yeah, so they, they had already done the, the first, they, they had the iPad Pro staggered out where, where in the fall they did the big one and then they did the smaller one in the spring. And this is the year where they like got them all and they had different features, remember, where yeah. like mm-hmm. they weren't all, you couldn't buy a best iPad and here was the, that was the time where they're like, no, no, now we've got the iPad Pro, here it is. Which was good because that was confusing. And the home pod. Yeah, what a weird launch that home pod too, where it's like, Uh oh, eventually it'll be out. Uh eventually. Because yeah. they, they felt this was this was the rare case where it felt like Apple really had to pre-announce a product because they felt pressure because everybody was saying, where is Apple? Why yeah. don't they have the, a product in this category? Mm-hmm. And so they, they kind of pushed it out before I think they would have liked to. I think this is a product announcement that they f- – we spent the summer saying, why didn't they just announce this in the fall with the iPhone? And the answer was because there was so much pressure on them to announce it.
0: Right. And, like, talk about the wrong environment for them to announce this product, right? There's no yeah. developer story for the HomePod. And, like, there barely nope. is still one to this day this is this is the one too where I got to be brought into the
1: um the the undisclosed you can say that you heard oh, yeah. the home pod but you can't say where um where they brought me into a room and they you couldn't touch it but you could you could listen to it uh, very strange obviously not a unusual for apple because it's it's rare that they will show the press a completely not ready product but that was very clearly a not ready product that they wanted us to hear but don't touch try not to look directly at it it was very weird (laughs)
0: because I guess the only thing the HomePod really had and still has is it sounds real good so you kind of had to meet because there was no uh, development thing they had to at least try and get people to talk about what it was good at and that was making noise so still good (laughs) at making noise still bad at everything else my final pick is I don't like to go so recent but there is good reason for this WWDC 2019 because this was my favorite thing about WWDC is when they give you everything you've been asking for right that that is like my favorite thing that WWDC can do is like the community has a list of things and this is the time that we're going to get them uh 2017 was like this Right? Because we got Definitely. the hardware that we were talking about. Twenty nineteen, I think, takes it to another level. Because not only did we get everything we wanted, which was Mac Pro, Pro Display XDR, right? Like there was a bunch of things that people wanted in there. A lot of features to iOS thirteen that we were looking for. Some of them maybe didn't pan out the way that we wanted, right? Like the same as like Catalyst, like that came that became available but didn't pan out necessarily the way that people were thinking it would initially one of the things that we got that nobody was asking for was iPadOS. Um, like I mentioned this recently on an episode, like it's amazing that we have it, but like no one was expecting it. Like no one was really asking for it, but we got it. So it was one of those WWDCs where like every 10 minutes I was making screaming sounds, right? Where it's just like, oh my God, they've done this thing, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. And so I remember that one was, was especially fun to watch for that reason. And then it had all the weirdness to it. Like here's a display it costs $1,000 to hang it on something, right? It's just like, yeah. it's, we, you know, we talk about, we've, we've been speaking about throughout this draft, memes, that will remain a meme for a very long time about Apple Keynotes, right? That like, oh, how much does the stand cost, right? Like that, we're going to be still be doing that joke in like five years time. Uh, so I think that this yep. this WWDC will go down in, in history as well.
2: It As far as like the emotional angle, I got my first ever press yes. invite uh, to this keynote, and mm-hmm. through Mac Power Users, we got to talk to Doug Brooks, the product manager of the Mac Pro. And recently, we interviewed somebody who had access to it in advance. And there's one under my desk, like.
0: And Federico got to speak to Craig Federighi, and then he, he we did. were able to have some people on the show to talk about SwiftUI. Like it was like a big year for that kind of stuff, which was fun.
2: It was, and and hopefully uh, that that continues in the future with podcaster access. But yeah, the first, so from like the emotional angle, this would be definitely high on my list because I got to be in the room, which was just an incredible experience to be there for the first time. And there's, I don't know, like 6,000 people in the room, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And and Jason, it gave me a new respect for what uh, people like you do who go to these events all the time, covering it live. It goes by so fast. Like I was reviewing, (laughs) (laughs) I I kept my notes from that keynote that I was taking during the show and there's huge gaps in them. Because you just can't keep up, and uh, and so that was a fun. It was fun to be in that role. Hopefully, I get to do it again. But that uh, WC twenty nineteen will always be special to me because I got to be
0: there. Wiley Hodges and Josh Schaffer. That's who we had on yes. the show. Always
2: that's right. Get those yeah. names.
0: Couldn't remember off top of my head. I
1: apologize. Yep. And we did a, a download. Rest in peace at, uh, with Apple as well. Oh
0: yeah, we did all the great shows.
1: Look at us, all the great shows. All right, I'm going to close out the draft. Um and i have two kind of momentous apple history moments to choose from i'm going to choose the september iphone event from 2017 it's the launch of the iphone 10 a super important product to apple um, the you know bringing in face ID and OLED screens and the notch and the edge to edge display it's yep. a super important product. It is still the iPhone generation of design that we're in. There was a new Apple watch then too. there was the 4k version of the Apple TV at last, but the number one reason that I'm picking it is this was the opening of the Steve Jobs theater mm-hmm. on the Apple Park campus. And while it didn't smell good outside because it was all covered in fertilizer because they were growing their plants, it was an amazing event because they opened the theater. Tim Cook did his dedication to Steve Jobs at the beginning of it. Uh, and then they unveiled the iPhone ten, which was a huge product thing. So both for kind of Apple history reasons and for product reasons, uh, I pick the September 2017 iPhone event.
0: That is a good one. It also includes the forgotten iPhone, the iPhone 8. iPhone 8, <laughs> sure. also exists so iphone in our lineup my wife is using one
2: (laughs) that's a good pick yeah i had that one too definitely on my list too and yeah the iphone 10 is such a momentous change in the lineup the biggest i think since we've seen in the six and six plus so it's uh it's definitely important and i would actually forgotten that this was the first one in the theater i knew it was about this time but i'd forgotten it was the uh the iphone 10 event
0: all right, so that is the end of the draft. We have picked all of our picks, but of course it wouldn't be a draft without honorable mentions. So Stephen, is there anything that you want to just cast a quick note to that didn't get picked in our 12 overall items?
2: Here? Yeah, I've got I've got a couple. Um I think the iPad 2 intro in March 2011 is another really strong keynote. They I mean the the original iPad was such a hit immediately and the iPad 2 just continued to bury their competitors in the ground. And plus it had the really cool video with the smart covers, if you remember those. Mm-hmm. And uh it was also a shift. The original iPad keynote involved a demonstration of iWork and this one involved a demonstration of iLife, like photos and movies and stuff. It was kind of a shift in Apple's content strategy for the iPad, which I think was really interesting. And uh, I'll stay in 2011 with my other one. The WWDC of that year, it was iOS was 5, so it was PC-free. Remember, you could sync over wireless if you wanted to, but it was the introduction of iCloud, which is actually uh, Steve's last keynote. We have the, the line that you've said on this show, the truth is in the cloud. It's a huge quote from this and uh there's also a joke about mobile me which is fun that <laughs> Jobs knew that it wasn't their finest hour. So I think kind of a in hindsight a really important WWC because like we're still living in this world where iCloud is the glue that holds all these things together.
0: The only uh event that I had left that wasn't picked uh is the March Services event from 2019. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> it's unusual, isn't it? Yes. Uh, it is, his, I think, it is historic because it marks the changing of the company. Um, this this event had no product, but Apple thought that it was worth bringing in the world's media. Um, we got Apple News Plus, Apple Card, Apple Arcade, and Apple TV Plus. TV Plus took up the majority of the event when Apple, one by one, brought out all of the, a selection of stars that they were working with, including Oprah. Uh, To which the roof flew off the Steve Jobs Theater at that moment. Um, (laughs) And it was a big event because, I mean, it was big for for us because we've been talking about this stuff for so long at this point. Um, And so, you know, I feel like, you know, with Upstream, we cover this stuff and this was a big moment for that. I felt like it's something that I knew a lot about and was like really intrigued to see if everything was going to go the way that I thought it would. But I think that, again, we will look back at this event. Uh, in another 10 years time and quite like we spoke about 2010 2019 marked a lot of change for apple and this is one of the big changes of like okay we're a media company now so let's see what ends up shaking out from that one uh
1: my only leftover pick was something that i i refer to as the empty chair event it's october 4th 2011 this was the introduction of the iphone 4s and siri uh, five My Friends was also at this event, but I think in hindsight most notable because um, they left a, a chair at the front of the stage, um, like in the first row, um, open for Steve Jobs, who died t- the next day, I think. Um, and so it's I keep I always think about that that they did oh, an Apple I forget product- it was product. Apple product launch event the day before Steve Jobs died. And they, you know, and they left in his, in his honor, the story goes that they left his, uh, his uh, audience chair uh, available, but they knew what was, what was probably going going to happen. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, that, that was the other one I had on my list. Any
0: uh, closing statements on our draft here in comparable style?
2: (laughs) I think it's interesting that it's pretty weighted towards earlier in the decade, And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one, like we're all Steve jobs fans. And so his, his presence on stage makes these things feel more special. But I, I think there, there have been a couple of shifts. Like if you kind of jump across the decade and, and look at these events, I think three things jumped out to me. One, Tim Cook is much better on stage than he used to be way better. Um, two, Apple is working on diversity. It's, it's, Improving as the years go by in, in terms of who is on stage and what they talk about. And I think that's uh, obviously a very important thing for Apple to continue to push on. Uh, but three, and I, I don't want to go into this conversation necessarily unless y'all want to, but the if you go back in the past, there's, there's always been applause at WWC because there's developers there, but like press events. It basically was a quiet room for the most part, and that is totally different now. Apple brings in retail employees and other people to uh, to these events. And, you know, like the Brooklyn event's a good example where they're like people from the New York area Apple stores there, and they were very clearly enthusiastic about being there, and they should be. That's really exciting. But that's a real difference between like the Back to the Mac event and the 2018 MacBook Air event. Like just listen to them. It's a very different environment, and I I, just, I found that really notable while going back through
0: these. The, the change in Tim Cook is a big thing, right? And getting better at it. But then you know, you mentioned the the diversity. It makes it interesting because we're hearing from different people, and that just means the events feel different. Like they have a different energy to them, um, which is good, right? Because you've got as well as people that have been doing this stuff for a long time and know how to work a crowd you have people that you can feel their excitement because they get to be on stage for the first time talking about the thing that they work on um it, it makes the events feel very different it also makes them feel faster i think because we're they're cycling through people um so it gives them a different energy which i enjoy steven thank you so much for joining us for this draft your historical knowledge has been noted um and yes. and appreciated uh, if you want to find Stephen's history, well, the history that Stephen reports on, go to 5 net, And of course, you can go to 5 pixels YouTube channel as well. Uh, Stephen is the host of many fine programs here at Relay FM, including Connected, Liftoff, Mac Power Users, and Ungeniest. Uh Stephen is at ISMH online as well. Did I cover everything, Stephen? It feels good. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Yes. Thanks, Thank you, Stephen you. Hackett. Until next time. Adios. All right, Jason, we should do some hashtag ask upgrade to yes. send this episode off into space. Uh, but before we do, uh, I would like to thank our final sponsor of this episode, which is Booz Allen. Modernizing for the future is a challenge, especially for large organizations. You may need to integrate legacy systems of new technology, you may need to incorporate AI and in analytics to work more efficiently and make fast decisions. And everyone needs new ways of thinking to move to what's next, whether for government or commercial goals. Booz Allen understands, and they're helping some of the world's largest organizations modernize. They understand the missions of government and industry, and the need to adapt to constant change. They provide open-source solutions so clients can integrate innovation from anywhere, whether from visionary startups or major contractors. Plus, they're helping clients power new technologies of analytics, and because security is everybody's priority, they integrate their capabilities of intelligence-grade cybersecurity. With Booz Allen, integration means putting you in control of innovation. Integrate, innovate, get it done with Booz Allen. Learn more at BoozAllen.com slash relay. That's BoozAllen.com slash relay. Our thanks to Booz Allen for their support of this show. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. Three, two, one. Oh, the, oh no. The episode's already been... Oh okay, well I guess we haven't let, you, you left. You said we had to send this
1: episode into space, We're so I guess... Out of all lift all of it off of
0: right we we're, we're now we're just we're we're kind of upgrading. we're heading up we're we're nearing max q right yeah, now i don't know what that means but it's the beginning of our ascent into orbit uh, and yes. kirk asks jason what blu ray drive are you using with your mac
1: Oh, uh, so I have a new one. Uh, it's a long story. I wrote a post about it uh, or updated an old post about it. Um, I am using the new drive I got. Is It's an Asus drive. It's the Asus. It's a great name. You're going to love it. BW-16D1HT.
0: Oh, good. I'm pleased they upgraded from the HH to the HT. That was a in good. a In uh,
1: an OWC Mercury Pro enclosure. Basically, I was talking to people who rip uh, Blu-rays and put them on Plex about how there's now this um, uh, LibreDrive Drive uh, standard, which is basically uh, a uh, you flash the firmware on the disc, and it 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 gets in this um, completely region-free DRM-free mode, where I can take not only regular Blu-rays, but I can actually take 4K Blu-rays and um, pull them off using the very useful Make MKV app at which point I put them on my Plex server. So um, I am a firm believer that, this is my disclaimer, firm believer that uh, if I buy a disc and I want to play it on uh, other devices in my home, uh, I can do that, and I it's I don't use it for piracy. I use it for my own home playback on my server and for backing up the movie so that I can get it uh, off the disk and into other formats. So I did buy a new one of those because it's uh, nice and uh, fast and more flexible, and my old uh, drive was getting a little long in the tooth. And I actually bought it flash, pre-flashed with uh, LibreDrive. Uh, uh There's a link in my story to uh, people who offer it, including the guy that I used, um, who, you know, basically he buys the drive and flashes the firmware so that I don't have to boot into Windows and flash the firmware myself and uh, and then sends it and basically charges you for labor and, and passes on the cost of the drives. So um, that's what I did. And so now I've got a big uh, optical drive for when I want it. This is so weird.
0: I'm like looking at this external enclosure thing. Yeah. It just all looks so strange.
1: It's a big metal uh, slab with a, with a big...
0: Uh, drive in it so this isn't the, in in the in the uh, the post you have a picture and that's not the drive you have now right no that's my that's my old drive old drive yeah which would look much nicer than the new drive which is very big yeah it is chris wants to know do either of you use clips i've used it occasionally but as of iMovie, i find the investment versus reward lacking compared to the photos moments feature do you ever use clips jason no I wish it supported portrait video. I feel like if it did, I could make some fun Instagram stories of it. Cause it does like that subtitling thing and you can do green screeny type stuff and it has all those stickers, right? Like I feel like clips has a lot of really interesting features, but locking it to square video. is just very strange. Like this is not, I know why you did it Apple because Instagram, but you should be focusing on Instagram stories, not Instagram feed posts, right? Like, it is a social media app. Do you remember people originally thought that Clips was going to be a social network that Apple was making, but it right. ended up just being this social video app. But it should be—it should be shooting sixteen by nine, uh, not square. So, or nine by sixteen or whatever one it is. Nine by sixteen is what I'm saying because it so as the portrait like Instagram stories. Come on. Update the app. That's what we want. They update the app all the time, but never in the ways that I want it to be updated. Uh. So, no, I don't. Ninjo asks, I'm going to be going overseas for a week in March. How does one go about getting a travel data plan? I often remember, Jason, when you would talk about the vending machines inside of airports. Uh that's one of the ways that you use to get a SIM card. And you can just get a SIM card from a local store when you land. That's what I used to do back in the day when I'd arrive in the U.S. If I hadn't already lost, if I had remembered to bring my SIM card from my previous trip, I would use that. Otherwise, I'd go to like a T-Mobile store because T-Mobile have like a travel SIM, basically. It's like a plan, which is for 90 days or whatever. And it's just, it's basically a prepaid plan. You could do that. Um, But what I do now, my carrier, I'm with a carrier called EE here in the UK. I'm on a plan that counts my data, minutes, and calls overseas as if I was at home. So there's no charges, right? It's just included in my plan. Check Uh if your carrier does that. If they do, it's great because then you're not paying a bunch of fees. A bunch of carriers, I know that uh, American carriers do a thing where you can just pay a fee, a flat fee every day, and use your yeah. phone that way.
1: And and sometimes that's actually a pretty good deal, mm-hmm. especially if you're having to deal with switching SIMs and switching numbers and all of that. that, that I, I went to Canada for a few days, and it was way easier for me to just have my AT&T plan charge me for the three days I was in Canada yep. than it was to deal with something else. It would be different if you were in a different country for two or three weeks, maybe.
0: But you really should check something like this these days because apps are data hungry now and you can blow through daily caps very fast if you use like Instagram like it will just gobble that right up and it's all gone so like if you get if you just get into your regular flow of things not really paying attention to your data you will go through daily caps very quickly.
1: At this point I don't recommend it like if you've got a if you've got an option where it's like we will charge you per gigabyte over this or whatever find another option because yeah. you you don't want to live like that you're going to be traveling whether it's for work or for a holiday. The last thing you want to do is every time you look at your phone, you're, think, you're flipping switches on and off of cellular data or you're thinking about how much they're going to charge you. You either want uh, an all-in plan for your carrier or you want to get an eSIM or a regular SIM card from some carrier, uh, assuming you've got an unlocked phone, especially, which uh, most uh, most of them can be or are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, that's the the eSIM thing is really nice, right? Because if you have the ability to have a second SIM active on in your phone yep. as well as your existing uh, SIM, then you can you can do a little bit of both, and that makes this this is getting better. I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I've included a link in the show notes to a knowledge base article from Apple talking about how to use eSIMs, um, and this is like especially useful in iPhones. Was it the 11? Was the no 10s from 10s and 10r and later, uh, you can use a, a second SIM, electronic SIM in your iPhone. So if your iPhone is unlocked, which is important, that's also important if you want to buy a SIM when you land. Make sure your iPhone is unlocked before you do that, because right. otherwise you're stuck um so that might not always be an option for you but eSIMs are another way to do it but i agree with jason do everything you can to avoid paying for gigabytes you don't want to do that now because you will end up in a situation afterwards i can almost guarantee it'll be more expensive than any other way that you would want to do this yeah Ben writes in and says, after last week's episode, I got to wondering, what are your etiquette rules around taking smart devices with you if you were to move to a new house? <laughs> Can you take the smart bulbs in the ceiling mounts, the smart roller shades that you installed? What about the ring doorbell? What stays? What goes?
1: All right. So it, there are a lot of issues here. One of them is, are, are you renting or are you selling your house? Um, and what was in the house when you moved in? But uh, I think the simplest answer is... Um, If you are a renter, return the house consider what it would take to return to the house to the original condition it was in so you put smart bulbs in the fixtures uh, if you want to take your smart bulbs with you that's fine it didn't if the house didn't come with smart bulbs just buy some bulbs and screw those in and take your smart bulbs with you um, if it's something like a, a uh, roller shades right like if they weren't smart roller shades when you got there I'm I, and you installed them I think they belong to you and you should be able to take them but you can't leave the house without shades if the house had shades when you moved in you need to put shades in before you leave either the ones that you kept right or if you threw them away the ones that uh, you are going to have to buy to replace them and then you do the you do the balance you do the question of like would it be easier for me just to leave them here where they are already installed and go buy new ones in my new place but i think um, returning it to the place that you left it Like if you have a a Nest thermostat on your wall and it originally came with a cheap plastic thermostat and you still have that somewhere, just put the cheap plastic thermostat back. If you're selling your house, I don't know, talk to your realtor because there may be some like implication of like whether they're buying the equipment or not. But I think even then, um, I have a hard time believing that any house sale is contingent on things like whether you've got smart bulbs in the outlets. So yeah. my, my real guidance here is leave it the way you found it unless you decide that that's actually more complicated than it's worth.
0: Yeah, this is definitely the case for renting, in my opinion, right? Because it's like, it's more trickier. House sales are a bit weirder because, like, yeah. you know, you're buying the shell, not the stuff that's in between, in the middle. Uh, right.
1: Unless, unless that's negotiated, because yeah. sometimes that happens where it's like, you've got this huge table that fits in this room, and they're like, we love that table. We want to buy it along with the house. And you're like, okay, throw in mm-hmm. another thousand
0: dollars and you can have the table. Yeah. But yeah, like don't leave people without a thermostat, <laughs> which is another point. If you're renting and you're putting any of this stuff in, keep the old stuff. Keep the old so stuff. So be put back in. Consider that when you move an out. Yep. Upgrade warning. Yep. Uh, it's literally an upgrade warning as uh-huh. well as a warning from upgrade. Josh writes in and asks, do you think it's possible and or probable that streaming services will ever pick up canceled shows from other streaming services? I just really want Sad Spies back. We all do, Josh. We all do.
1: We all do. Um, this has already happened. It will continue happening. I think the most likely scenario is that the studio that made the show has its own streaming service, because what you want to see is alignment um, between the who made it and who, you know, who profits from it and what the outlet is where it's being released. And if you see alignment, um, then you you there's a more likely chance like NBC did this to itself where NBC the broadcast network canceled AP bio and then Peacock picked it up Uh, Peacock as mentioned earlier on this episode Mm -hmm. Uh, so you could see that then again you know Peacock among the shows that it picked up were shows from other uh studios. So you could end up in a situation where Peacock cancels something and the studio who made it is like, oh, uh, maybe we should put this on our own streaming service yeah. if we have one. So uh I, I think it will happen, it has happened, it will happen again. But um as time ta- as time goes on and there's sort of less desperation to get streaming services up and running, I think you'll see it less because um, you really need a unique position where where somebody feels like they're in a stronger position with the show than the the originator and um, when it's streaming to streaming I think that's less likely to happen you want less likely yep. to have something like the expanse where um, the sci-fi channels deal with the expanses uh, production company was very specific in the US and they didn't have some of the streaming rights they wanted and it was a bad deal for the sci-fi channel but Amazon could make a good deal and had been using it in the rest of the world and felt like good about it. When there's a lack of parity like that, you can see it happen more when everybody's just, I got my own streaming service worldwide and everybody's got the same. It's less likely that somebody's going to see a canceled show and say, oh, you know, that would make sense. It doesn't make sense for you, but it makes sense for us. So you want to look for where there are moments where there's a real disparity, um, which is happening now, but I think over time will happen less.
0: And also as there will be fewer production companies used, right? So if Netflix have a Netflix original that they have created and canceled, it is less likely for that it, to show up. Yeah, it, Well, it basically can't, exactly. right? Because
1: they own, they own it and they killed it. And yep. that's, that's also the case with a lot of stuff is if it's from Amazon and Amazon funded it and Amazon owns it forever, then... It's not going to go somewhere else, and that may be the case with Patriot. Um, and and streaming services want that; they want to own it all if they can,
0: and uh, and they will try to hold on to it forever. And finally, Michael asks: iCloud Drive is super buggy for me. I copy PDFs; it keeps showing upload signs, nothing happens for days. Have you guys switched to iCloud Drive, or would consider it?
1: I have not considered it because. Um I use Dropbox and there are things I use in Dropbox that um are very much how I want to I want to live my life and while yeah. I could probably move some of my things to iCloud Drive other things I'd have to stay in Dropbox at which point I think I would rather keep Dropbox it has lots of nice kind of fiddly features that you can do on the web where it's keeping files over time and it's doing versioning and I'm pay- I'm paying for um, a higher level of Dropbox, so I get that kind of functionality, which I find really valuable. I am, I'm I'm going to use this as a moment to say I am really frustrated with how bad the Dropbox experience is on iOS. Um, Files has issues, but Dropbox has real issues. It feels to me like Dropbox has just decided that strategically it do, it either doesn't care about its iOS experience or it doesn't want to be seen as just a file provider, which is what my guess is, because it is so much more painful to use Dropbox on iOS than it should be. There are plenty of iOS uh, 13 APIs to improve the files app experience for external providers like Dropbox. And yet Dropbox has always been behind and wonky. And even to this day, when I use files to import something from Dropbox, I end up seeing like an old version of my Dropbox that is not what it currently is because for some reason the dropbox app isn't updating the data it's so frustrating but that said i have not considered switching to iCloud drive for most of my stuff because you know i have it built in dropbox and dropbox offers me other features i would consider switching small things to iCloud drive in the meantime but i'm not going to move house completely
0: but, like, you know, you mentioned, I agree with you, like Dropbox and iOS, especially in the file, so could do with work. It's embarrassing. But it's iCloud embarrassing. Drive is bad too, though, right? Like yes, which is like that's true. And it's yes. situations that yes. I have. You save things to iCloud Drive, and, like, I try and open a 46 kilobyte numbers file, and it will sit and spin for 10 minutes before it opens. It's like, why? What are you doing? This should be on the device. Like, what is happening, right? So I have this problem all the time with iCloud drive stuff, right? Like the containers that the apps have inside of iCloud Drive. I use iCloud Drive like my on device storage. Like I save files there that I'm gonna be sending somewhere else. Like it's like oh I've got a some a PDF that I want to email somebody. I just save it to iCloud Drive and then email it. I don't use it for storage, long-term storage. Yeah, but you could just use
1: on my iPad for that. You don't actually even need to use iCloud Drive for that.
0: No, I mean I don't have to. It's just like a. It just goes there because it's just it's there, right? Like I just put it there because this is where I put things because I've been doing that since before on my iPad existed. So it's just part of my workflow, you know. Like, and you've got the buttons to save to iCloud Drive in in a bunch of applications, rather than like I'd have to go, I'd have to physically like choose then to open on my iPad. It's like yeah, whatever. I'll just put it in iCloud Drive. Thing for Dropbox to me, like I don't really have any problems with Dropbox. I know a lot of people hate Dropbox, like, but I have no problems. It's I think it's a great service. Yeah. Like, like for example, I couldn't switch to iCloud Drive because I now have more in my Dropbox in physical, like, in, sorry, in like in in storage than most of my devices could fit on them. So now you know. So like, but but Dropbox has a solution for this. Their smart sync stuff, right? Where I I I have two different ways of doing it. I can either selective sync things, which I do on my iMac Pro, or I can use a smart sync on devices that I don't need to have everything immediately available and you just download the files that you need. Like I think that's a great feature that Dropbox has available. iCloud Drive doesn't have that feature. Like I couldn't switch even if I wanted to because it's too much stuff. And honestly, I wouldn't trust iCloud Drive with a terabyte of data. I just wouldn't because it can't even serve me forty five kilobytes. So I will I will say you can actually
1: do that on iCloud Drive. You can it it will download things on demand and you can click and choose remove download and it will remove uh, that file from your from your drive and leave it in the cloud. Mm, okay. So you can do that. I but in going to check that right now, I noticed that I my iCloud drive still has the little like clock that says it's uploading one item that's fifteen. K awesome that has been there forever and I don't it, know what that item is and it's with the stuck way that you described it
0: it seemed like it's just gonna download stuff and then I have to tell it if I want it to go away but with Dropbox nothing's downloaded unless I choose it to be
1: that's a setting that's a setting okay. and I think
0: that that
1: you can actually set it so it works that way so but I, I agree I am more comfortable using the Dropbox approach there and yeah. I you know iCloud is not without if, if this was a case where iCloud worked perfectly and Dropbox was what it is today, I would still have to use Dropbox for some things, but I would be more tempted to move a bunch of other things to iCloud Drive. But you're just trading one set of bugs for another set and more features for me on Mm -hmm. Dropbox.
0: All right, so that's it for this week's episode of Upgrade. If you want to find our show notes for today, go to relay.fm/upgrade/281. If you want to have a question answered on a future episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Ask Upgrade, and it may be included. Uh, thanks again to Stephen for joining us. If you want to find Jason online, go to sixcolors.com. He is at jsnell. Uh, you can find Jason on many shows here at Relay FM and the Incomparable as well. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks to Booz Allen, Direct Mail, and Pingdom for their support of this week's episode. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody.